I ain't mad at ya. I ain't mad at ya. When I'm mad at you, baby. Cause I ain't mad at ya. Cause I'm mad at ya. I ain't mad at ya. I'm mad at you, baby. Yes, Danny Boy, as the audiobook continues. Chapter, next chapter, All Lies on Me Tour, January 1996. When we left California for a couple of spot dates, our first stop was Cleveland, Ohio. Just about all the artists on the label went on the road with Tupac and Snoop Dogg, the Dog Pal, Michelet, the Outlaws, and the OFTB, and a few other artists. We didn't go anywhere without the homies with us. It was a good time, but by the sound check, we were all smashed. When Michelet came out on stage, she was supposed to ride out on a freewheel bike. She came right in the bike from behind the stage and completely rolled off the ramp that she was on. We all cracked up laughing. Well, after we helped her up, she was lucky that it was a ramp and not a high stage or else she would have been singing a whole other tune. A tune from the grave. On the way back to the hotel, it was snowing heavily. The radio station was reporting a snowstorm. We were literally walking in the snow that came up to all our knees. We thought the snow might be show might be cancelled or that few people would come out. But the fans showed up and all the fans there were all determined to see Tupac. When Tupac and the outlaws hit the stage, the crowd went fucking crazy. But before Tupac started his second song, somebody had thrown a crutch up on the stage. Tupac told the DJ to stop the music. And Tupac said, Yo, I'll give 5,000 person to the motherfucker who tell me you threw that motherfucking crutch up on stage, motherfucker. Tupac said to the crowd, Man, it had about 5,000 people pointing in the same direction. Tupac threw 5,000 pounds into the crowd and the homies snatched the dude up out of there quicker than you blinked an eye. That dude probably don't do shit now but go to jazz concerts. That's how wild the Tupac concert were. The next morning we were on our way to the next city. When we got to the airport, flights were being pushed back because of the weather. After some hours, we finally boarded our flight. Everybody was fine and everything was fine until we had to sit on a runway for another hour. I went into my bag and pulled out two-fifths of Crown Royal. I was passing it out when one of the air hostess tried to catch us up, but I was the only one got caught with my drink app. The stewardess saw me and said, Sir, can you bring the drinks aboard this plane? You can't bring the drinks aboard this plane. We were on our way down the runway when I started going off on her. She made a phone call and the next thing I knew, they were turning the plane around. We were heading back to the gate. 
about five police sheriffs got on the plane. The sheriff said, Young man in the red sweater, come to the front of the plane. The sheriff said, When I stood up, I published this. Hollywood Papa Papa G, Hollywood Papa G called George Price walked up to talk to them. If George had stepped up, I think they would have locked me up. Instead, they made us all get off the plane. Everybody in the entourage was mad at me. But I said, I ain't mad at you. Because it was the last flight of the night. We had to wait until the next day to get a flight. And that meant we would be sleeping on the halls of the terminal until it was time to go. There was hot as hell. But they knew they couldn't say nothing to me or they were going to have a problem with you know who, Big Suge Knight. And if Suge Knight had a problem, the big homies would solve it. Ain't nobody have time for the big homies Suge got it behind him. I felt bad, but I continued to put my arrogance on full display. I kept laughing and talking shit and I walked through the halls of the terminal. We went on to several other cities and did some shows at smaller venues during this time the All Eyes On Me double album was being mixed and mastered when we returned to LA Tupac went to the desert to shoot the California Love video it was directed by his friend Jada Pinkett Smith but she pulled out of it in the last day so it wasn't directed by Jada Pinkett Smith I'm not this is not in the book this is the fact that I know didn't happen someone else did directed that video Jada Pinkett Smith was supposed to direct that video but it wasn't right I'm gonna tell you it wasn't Jada Pinkett Smith it was somebody else who directed that video we all know Jada Pinker Smith is a good friend of Tupac, but she didn't direct the video. But anyway, get back to the get back to the damn audio book. Shortly after filming the video, Suge Knight and Tupac and the Outlaws and some more of us went back to New York for Tupac appearance in Saturday Night Live. I ended up finding out I was going to be singing with Tupac. It was actually the first time I was actually scared to sing. Now, I'm going to tell you something before you read another book. It's the best Tupac performance in my view. And you, it's better than the House of Blues one. You just type in YouTube, Tupac, I ain't mad at you, with Daddy Boy. And you get songs on there. You get so many tears, big sacks on stage. You get Tupac, so many tears, California love, and I ain't mad at you. And believe me, Tupac sang that with passion that night. And uh, uh, Adam Sandler and Will Ferrell were there as well. So just type that shit into YouTube. So all I could, so back to the book. All I could hear on the production speakers was, Countdown, we're going live. Five, four, three, two, one, Saturday Night Live! We barely made it out of the wardrobe before they were pushing us outward towards the stage. When the lights come on, people were clapping. Tupac was going hard. I was sitting with Big Psych on the stage behind Tupac. When it was my turn, I tried to stay in the background. 
but not trying to do too much because Big Psych was like, You're gone, D. Then Tupac fumbled over one of the parts in the verse, and I came to help him, and I sang, I ain't mad at ya. I ain't mad at ya. I ain't mad at ya. And after he, Tupac did his next verse, he put me on. I couldn't believe it. The biggest rapper in the world put me on to SNL stage. And I was this 70-year-old daddy boy from Chicago. Tupac said he shined his light on me in that moment. And I had Tupac's back. And he had mine. I was still scared, but I did my best to represent Tupac. I finally started feeling like a big celebrity. All my family was back in Chicago watching me on Saturday Night Live performing live with the biggest rapper in the world, Tupac. My grandmother even let my little cousin stay up late to see it. My little cousins were big fans of Tupac as well. And my grandmother was. I never saw my grandmother watch anything other than Riff Clay Evans on TBN, but she knew who Tupac was. I was satisfied enough just to know that she was watching me, and that was large in itself. Next chapter, Slip and Slide. After putting in so much work in the studio, it's finally time for me to see the treatment for the slip and slide video. They presented storyboards explaining the concept of the video. They were impressive, but the kicker was of the location in Cabo San Lucas, Lucas, Mexico. Suge Knight put a lot of money into this shoot. He was dead set on his vision of me walking on the water. Suge Knight once said to me, and to the reporters that I'll be the next Michael Jackson. I thought that was too... I actually thought, nah, that is a bit too much. But Shook Knight had that vision for me. It would require a large peak of piece of proglaze suspended over the ocean. There was little time to prepare. I had to rush my passport application in order to leave on time. The following week, Trina and I were working to get everything at the house in order. Our nanny was going to be staying at our house to care for Ashley while we were away in Mexico. We quickly hosted a casting call to find my leading lady and a few extras. We ended up choosing about 80 girls in preparation for the shoot. I met with this wardrobe stylist. She pulled some nice looks for this shoot. She even had custom underwear with my name on them. When it was time to leave, Death Row had two airplanes full of our people. Now that doesn't even count the private flights that were brought for Tupac, Snoop Dogg, The Dog Pound, Nate Dogg, DJ Quick, and new members of Death Row, KC and JoJo, Aaron Hall, and whoever else they wanted to bring. That's how we rolled! You brought your people with you, Suge Knight and his lawyer David Kenner, and Michelle and Trina and our few flew in to Mexico on a small passenger jet. We were eating, chilling and listening to All Eyes On Me album when we landed at the airport in Mexico. We arrived to police escorts who took me and my girl over to our villa. Suge Knight had rented the big house that he and Michelle stayed in. David Kenner stayed on his private boat. 
My stylist flew in with about 50 grand worth of clothes, but she neglected to declare their value to customs, and they confiscated every fucking thing, everything, my clothes, my shoes, and everything she got customized for me was gone too. She had to turn around and go back to the U.S. to grab whatever she could to make the shoot. It was tight because we would be filming the next afternoon. Boy, boy, when you have money, you can make just about anything fucking happen. She was back just in time for me to do my thing. The first scenes we shot were in the jungle. After the first scene, my girl went off on me because she thought I was doing way too much with my leading lady. I was kissing and grinding on her, but that was part of the performance. The next day, I left her at the villa with my assistant while I shot my scenes. The next scene was with me on the water. I said, you're walking on the middle of the water, do a little dancing and walk towards the camera. The director said to me, I have a problem with that. It seemed easy, except for the dancing part. I wasn't much of a dancer. I was cool throughout the entire makeup and hair sessions. But when they told me I had to take the dignity out of the location, I started to rethink the entire scene. The distance was too far. I couldn't swim. I wasn't having it. It took the crew 20 minutes to assure me that everything would be okay. With my makeup and hairstylist, I got on the dinghy with the driver. I had my life jacket on under my actual jacket. There were scuba divers swimming around the sides of the plexiglass just in case I fell in. They didn't have to worry about me falling in because I had no intention of getting out the boat. I was fucking scared. Some of the guys eventually helped me out the boat. When I stood on the plexiglass, it moved. I felt like I was about to have a fucking heart attack. I started encouraging myself. I'm good. I'm good. I got this. I got this. I got this. Once I caught up the courage to stand up to the middle of the water, the director will have Danny Boy take off the life jacket is making him a little too bulky. When he said that, I wanted to change my mind about singing because they wanted me to take the vest off and get off this dingy shit. Damn, this is my protection. I wasn't dying that day for nothing on nobody. Finally. The divers came to me and explained that they would be swimming along the edges of the plexiglass. With that assurance, I went ahead and gave them all the shots they needed. Now, it's all said and done. I think it was a stupid scene. It was a great concept, but I should have never let them convince me to dance. It was money wasted. We should have cut the scene. What makes it even worse is I actually look like I can't dance. I was walking on water just like Shook Knight said I would, but I didn't care anymore. I wanted to get off that fucking boat and get back to damn land. Later that night, we shot a scene on a damn submarine. It was a real submarine, too. We had to climb on top in order to get in. We were floating on water, and then all of a sudden, we were under damn water. I was at the window looking at how deep we were going. I see all kinds of fish and things swimming around I never had seen in my life. Not even on damn TV. 
The next morning, we ate breakfast at Suge Knight's rental house while the maids were at the villa cleaning. My boy, Kurt Cobain, and my friend Troy were flying in to hang with me. The production bag took me to pick them up for, from the airport. I had known Troy since all. I met Kurt one day when I was leaving in the studio. He had told me that he produced records. When we were leaving one day, I noticed that he was sleeping in his truck. It, had bro it was broken down, so he couldn't get it started. He told me that he ran out of money and that he had been sleeping in his truck for at least a week. I didn't know him, man, from Adam, but I put him and Troy in my car and welcomed them into our home. We've been friends from that day on. I was happy to have Kurt and Troy with me in Cabo. After I picked up my boys, we headed back to the video set in Mexico. We were pulled up to the set. The streets were blocked up. The driver said to the guards, Yeah, this is Danny Boy, yeah? The gringo. After that, they let us in immediately. We visited. We finished shooting earlier that day because everybody was going to meet up at the club and celebrate the video and the huge success of Tupac's album that just come out and sold nearly 5 million copies. It was number one in the country. We rented every scooter, golf cart, and dumb buggy they had in Cabo. We got in the club and we partied and everything was going smooth. We had the whole bar tied down. We bought the bar out and it was open to anybody and everybody in there. There were so many people, most of them I didn't recognize. There were like 40 Crips and 60 Bloods. Two rival gangs in one fucking place? I knew something bad was going to happen. The locals probably had never seen that that many blacks at once. Suge Knight and I were standing by the door talking to some of the big homies when an older lady made a smart remark to one of Suge's big homies. The guy started banging on that lady. It was obvious he had never been further than Las Vegas. He slapped that lady right off her damn feet. While she was on the floor, he was yelling, Bitch, get up, I dare you, this pyro motherfucker, get up. Screaming his gang name. The other big homies, which one of them were Buntry and Heron, come to get the other blood guy off of her. They quickly rushed him and took him out the bar. I don't think he even realized just how fast the authorities would lock that motherfucker up. Over the next few days, we shot more scenes. On our last day of shooting, we were on Suge Knight boat. Everybody was on that boat. Tupac, the dog pal, Nate Dog, KC and Jojo, Suge Knight. Some of his homies I can mention, Buntry, Neckbone, Heron, and Money Man. But it was hard to concentrate on the scene because every girl in that boat was damn topless. And all I could think about was the after party. The final scene of the night was the party scene. I hadn't realized how many people Suge Knight had flown down until I pulled up and got off the golf cart. 
Everywhere I looked, there was people standing. It looked like a huge-ass damn block party. All of the people that flew on the private jet had people with them. Tupac, Snoop, The Dog Pound, DJ Quick, and OFTB. It looked like a scene in out of Boys in the Hood. The leading lady and I had to take off everything we had on, jewelry and all. The camera would pan across the sand to give us an illusion we were somewhere having sex on the beach. They were shooting that scene at one end of the beach, and she and I were shooting at the other end when producers yelled, This is a wrap. The entire crew was happy to be done. The video taken a week and a half to shoot, and it was time to celebrate. I hadn't seen my boys, Troy and Kurt, since earlier that day. My assistant, Dion, had taken off with my camera and was having his own little photo shoot. He'd go up to people, random people, and ask, Can you stat this for me right quick? I didn't have one picture on my camera for memories. Death Row had taken their photographer take pictures, but I never had the opportunity to see them either. <coughs> When I went back to pick up my jewelry, I noticed that the assistant director was looking around like he had lost something. In fact, everyone was looking nervous. That made me fucking nervous because nobody was walking up to me, handing me my jewelry. Dion walked up to the director and started cussing at him about my shit. Then I started going off on him, Why the hell weren't you being an assistant and watching my shit? I keep seeing you saying, you are here to assist. My job is to do what I'm doing and your job is to do what I need you to do. I was mad at hell because my watch, my chain and my two rings had vanished. I lost nearly 30 grand in jewelry and I was so mad I made that guy that was driving the car get off the damn car. I drove off in the car myself and left Dion standing right there with him. An hour later, Suge Knight pulled up in this van and asked me, What it is, Danny boy, what it is, is who got your shit, blood? Who got your shit? I was looking crazy, but Suge was looking crazy. And he had about a hundred homies with him, all bloods. He got out the van and we all started mobbing towards the area where my jewelry was. Everybody saw that Suge Knight was coming and that he was pissed off. The homies started checking everybody that didn't walk up on us. I looked around and Dion, my so-called assistant, was nowhere to be found. Shook Knight walked up to Troy and Kurt. As soon as he walked up, he got in Troy's face. He said to Troy and Kurt, With these, with these you niggas ain't never been nowhere for real. Danny boy give you the opportunity to come and he's treating y'all everything. Neither one y'all help keep up with the shit. His shit's missing. You feel me? You gotta pay for it. I knew Suge Knight wasn't talking about money because they didn't have shit. They were living off me. I was taking care of them. They were my people. Troy was skinny as hell. Probably weighed no more than a hundred pounds. He was shaking and apologizing. I'm sorry, Mr. Knight. I'm sorry, Mr. Knight. Kurt was high as hell. And when Shug got in his face, he just smirked. Somebody out the crowd reached over and hit Kurt.
curd in their mouth. There was blood everywhere. He was in the days and scared as hell. I said to Shook, this is some bullshit. So you're going to do my people like this? I, I said that a Shook Knight was holding me back. Tupac and MC Hammer were grabbing Troy and Kurt. Tupac said, yo, daddy boy, you want somebody to check on people, yo? When they're out of order, but you ain't saved yet. Now it's, now it's your motherfucking people. You know what I'm saying? I told Pat to sh Tupac to shut his ass up. We were friends, but this wasn't the way to handle things. Tupac and Shug Knight had Troy's little ass standing in between them. They started asking Troy. Tupac said, who look like? Who the motherfucker look like they be working out, huh? Troy was scared to answer Pac because he knew regardless of who we picked, the other one was going to be on some bullshit. MC Hammer was... Biting the sink, jumping around like he was in a boxing ring, putting on the gloves, and finally get, doing f f fingertips out. Suge Knight was laughing, saying, "Yeah, Danny Boy, what it is is we're gonna, me and Tupac are gonna, we're gonna fuck him up if Danny Boy don't." I thought Troy was about to get beat down until until Suge Knight said to me. Danny boy, you take care of your people or we will. Troy was crying. He looked at me and said, Danny boy, please, you do it. I made it look like I punched Troy in his chest. But what I really did was push him really hard with my fist. That was enough for Suge and Tupac and they walked away and MC Hammer followed behind them, threatening them still. When Troy got off on the floor, he ran to me and gave me a big old hug. I wasn't going to let them hurt my boy. I wasn't worried about Kurt. He was standing outside with a swollen lip. When I got back to my villa, Dion wasn't there. I didn't think he had the jewelry, but he was still in violation for spending seven grand on a private flight back to L.A. He got the fuck out of there fast because he was scared of getting his ass whooped in Mexico. Scared to fly. After that eventful night, it was time for everyone to go home. Suge Knight, David Kennedy, Michelle, Trina, and I stayed behind an extra week. We went out on the boat to do some fishing. Suge Knight and I, e Suge Knight and I even caught a damn shark. When we pulled that big fella onto the boat, that thing was jumping around everywhere. We rode Lake into the night with our girls and the captain of P-Funk. I had gotten so drunk that I woke up the next morning not knowing how I got back to the villa. It was early in the morning and we were up packing getting ready to head to the airport. It was the weekend so the airport closed early. Suge Knight was taking his time as usual. By the time we pulled up to the airport every light on there was going up. Suge Knight ran up to the door to talk to the people inside. About five to ten minutes later, he came back to the car. He said, What it is, is don't trip. They gonna lay the scene. I gave them a couple of dollars. Classic Suge Knight. The man could make things happen.
after we boarded the plane, we sat on the runway for about 20 minutes before we took off. I was sitting in the back with Trina and Michelle Shug and David Kenner were sitting together. The blues were playing loudly and they were smoking cigars. I was passing my blunt back and forth to David Kenner. We were singing, joking and having a good time like we always did. Just as the captain announced that we were free to move around, we hit an air pocket that jerked the plane a little. We were accustomed to turbulence. But this was a little more rough than usual. As the plane began to drop, it got harder and harder to hear what people were saying. David looked out the plane window in panic. The plane's on fire! Land this motherfucker's gonna burn! It's gonna burn, motherfucker, burn! At this point, we were falling hundreds of feet per minute. Trina had fainted. She was out cold and I was crying. I was praying. I was quoting every scripture I had learned in the Bible since I was a kid. We continued to fall. The pilot did everything he could to regain control. He was working on the plane, swaying it from side to side. I could see the flames coming from the wing. I started hyperventilating. Shug Knight grabbed me with a cigar in his mouth. He promised me that God loved us. He told me that we were going to be okay, but we still had work to do. And he was right. It was not our time to go. When we landed, police ambulance and fire trucks were all over the runway. Shug Knight was right. We should have been dead. They had been looking for a group of black bodies and a little black box, but God had it all planned differently. As soon as I realized that we had landed, I was at the door trying my best to tear it off. I swear I thought I would become a citizen of Mexico because I didn't ever see myself getting on another plane. I didn't wait for anyone to help me. I just ran off the plane and started praising God like never before. I was thankful for God for sparing my life. The next morning we arrived at the airport on time. The only thing that made me feel okay about getting on was that the flight was we would be on a big commercial plane. As we prepared for takeoff, I said a prayer. We had a long way to go. It was hard for me to keep it in together. I constantly watching the time. When we finally approached, I started singing my head off to distract myself. I couldn't wait to be home. In fact, I was standing up as we taxied towards the gate. Trina and I went straight to the house to get to Ashley. We had been so close to never seeing her again. <coughs> when we arrived home, we ran upstairs to see her. This was one of the few times in a long time that Trina and I got along. From that day on, we kept Ashley really close to us.
Time to get a smoke break. Tick tap. So that is the Danny Boy video. Slip and slide. I've seen that music video, you can check it out on YouTube. So, let's get back into it. Once we settled down, I slept for a few hours. Then it was time to get back to the studio. I stayed until 5 in the morning. On my route home, I had to drive over the mountain. All I remember is getting to the bottom and then nothing. When I woke up, I was under a semi-truck. Blood was coming from my head and I could hear... D'Angelo Brown Sugar bumping in the background. I jumped out the car and called up to the office to tell them what had happened. They immediately got Suge Knight on the phone to talk to me. I was scared as hell because the car was still new. It had about 1,400 miles on it. Suge Knight asked me if I was okay. He told me to go to the hospital but to stop by the studio when I was done. I was in and out in about three hours. When I was done, I went straight to the studio, neck brace and all. When I got there, Snoop Dogg and everybody was making fun of me. I waited around all night for Shook Knight to arrive. When he got there, he just laughed and told me he was glad I was okay. Shook Knight said, What well, is Danny Boy, don't trip about the car. I went home and stayed there for four days. I was in bed the whole time. The pain was that bad. After being down in bed for so many days, I went back to the lab in a rental car to the studio that had leased for me. It was a green Ford Taurus. A sad substitute for my red drop top. It wasn't the flash that I'd been accustomed to, but I had shot. A million dollar video and I was one of the most anticipated albums of the year. Suge Knight and assured me that I would be the next Michael Jackson and my project was next. There was nothing to complain about. This is about February 1996 and everything we were all on top of the world. Tupac's album came out on the 6th of February and was top of the charts for three weeks and sold 2 million copies in the first month and later on that year went to sell 8 million copies. Dr. Dre had left and Snoop Dogg had been acquitted on his trial. But that wasn't enough for Tupac. Tupac was still in the studio after he recorded his album. Tupac already had recorded about 500 other songs. That you still hear today. And he was kept on recording songs and songs. And throwing them away. I remember one day I was in the studio with Tupac. I recorded Too Late Player. It had MC Hammer and Big Daddy Kane on it. I, I looked up to Big Daddy Kane when I was younger. In the early 80's. And we recorded Too Late Player. And I knew that album was going to come out on some album Tupac had planned. But Tupac had so many songs, I didn't know what album Tupac was going to put out next. He kept mentioning Machiavelli and the Outlaw Immortal album. But Tupac, 
that day recorded four songs I remember. It was just before the Tyson and Bruno fight. He recorded This Ain't Living, a song for Mike Tyson, Road to Glory, and the last one left, West Side and his motherfucker right here, and Too Late Player. And dumping. That was in the space of under five hours. Tupac had done that that night. And then we went to the Tyson Bruno fight. Oh. Hmm.